0: morning. Good to see you guys this morning. We are uh, continuing in our series in the book of Galatians. We've been working through the book of Galatians. We've now made it over to chapter 6. Um, so Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. Uh, we're exploring the topic, how should we help those who are caught in sin? How should we help those who are caught in sin? Uh, while while you find your place, uh, we'll we'll read this here in a moment. But while you find your place, I just want to just want to take just a few moments to say, you know, I am extremely encouraged uh, by you uh, as uh, church members. How you know the Lord has really worked through you to provide for our church. Um, you know, from a financial standpoint but also just how I see one another caring for one another. We, a lot of people, a lot of families in the church have uh, been through a lot lately, and it's just been really neat to see how you guys have come alongside one another, how you're praying for one another, how you're caring for one another. And so I just, I just wanted to pause this morning and just encourage you, um, encourage you that the Lord is working through you um, as, we are, as we are being the church together. Um, and so continue, continue on with that good work. Galatians chapter five, or Galatians chapter six, verses one through five is where we're at this morning. Hopefully you found your place. I'm going to read this. We're going to pray and then we'll dive in. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for... This opportunity to gather together uh, as your people, as your church, God, um, to worship you, as we've as we've sung songs of praise to you already, Lord, and and now we turn to hear your preached word, Lord. Allow us to be attentive, God. Work in our lives. Work in the body of this church, Lord. Help us, God, to be a people, to be a church that reflects Your Word and Your commands and Your Word, God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, imagine coming up on an accident on the highway. It's not one of those accidents that's just off of the side of the road that, that you might see as you are driving you know, to your destination, but, but it's a, a major accident, right? It is one that is stopping traffic and and this accident just happened before you got there and so you are you're kinda the first people on the scene if you will and you see that there's a lot of people who are who are hurt imagine that uh, you went to school and you are a nurse you are uh, an EMT Um, it's not your day on the job you're just traveling to be with your family but you know first aid you know CPR and clearly the people in front of you need first aid what are you gonna do? are you gonna sit in your car while the people in front of you are dealing with their own injuries are you gonna allow someone who is inexperienced who doesn't really have much medical training uh, to tend to these people's wounds to perform CPR on them what are you gonna do well, most people who have that level of training who know what, they're, what, who know what to do in these medical emergencies may get out of their car and begin, begin to render aid and say, that's you. You check all the boxes. You happen to be that person. What are you going to do? Well, it's a slightly different context from the wreck on the highway, but as church members, we happen upon people who are in need all of the time. People who are caught in sin. And when that is the case, what do you do? Do you sit in your pew? Do you remain silent in your small group? Do you stay in the comfort of your own home? Do you avoid the situation and wait for someone else to come and to render aid? Do you just hope that this person is going to find their own way out of their sin? Do we even have a choice as to whether we're going to help a fellow church member who is caught in sin? Are we, are we able to just walk off of the scene, to avoid the situation? What does God's Word have to say? How should we help those who are caught in sin? Well, the first way that, that we help is simple, but, but it's huge. It is that we must recognize and accept the fact that we are called to help restore those who are caught in sin. We are all called to help restore those who are caught in sin. Look at verse 1 with me again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And by using the word brothers, by using the word spiritual in this verse, Paul reveals that, that he is speaking to a specific group of people. And what Paul means by spiritual is that it is the people who are walking in the Spirit. And if you remember a couple of weeks back before, before Father's Day, before we paused for that, I defined walking in the Spirit as allowing and depending on the Spirit to lead and to guide us. And as Christians, we should be people who are allowing the Spirit to lead and to, and to guide us, which means that all Christians should be those who are walking in the Spirit. In other words, then all Christians should be those who would be considered spiritual. And that's not that's not to say that you know, the people who are spiritual are this, this separate class of people, right? This isn't like we're not talking about when we talk about people who are spiritual, like, like sometimes we might refer to, well, that person over there is very spiritual. We might say, well, they're they're a super Christian, or or maybe they're they're a pastor, or they're a deacon, or they're they're a Sunday school, or small group, small group leader. No, all Christians should be those who are walking in the Spirit, which means that all Christians are those who are spiritual. And the group that, that Paul is, is calling to action are Christians then, specifically Christians who are in community with one another. And what are church members called to do? Well, church members are called to deal with another member, church member's sin. If anyone, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. And this phrase, should restore him, is an imperative in other words it is a it is a command it's not it's not a suggestion that Paul is giving here no Paul is giving a a command if you are spiritual it is your duty to help restore another person who is caught in sin it's not just church leaders who should deal with the sins of another it is also church members who have this responsibility and sometimes As church members, you have a greater ability to speak into the life of another person than than I do as a pastor. Because you have a relationship with them. You hang out with them. You do life with them. You know them intimately. You have the ability to speak into their lives sometimes in a way that I don't or another pastor doesn't. And so who are we to help restore? Well... We are to help those who are caught in sin. And being caught in sin could refer, to, could refer to two things. It could refer to those who have had their sin exposed. It's, it's something that has been hiding, that, that, that others had no idea about, but that sin has come to the surface. And sin always has this funny way of doing that, of, of bubbling up. It's kind of like that leak behind the wall at your house. It's there. It's a small leak. You don't really know that the leak is there. You don't think anything has happened, right? You think that you have survived the the February freeze. And everything is is going well. Things have thawed out. All the plumbing in your house is running. But then you start to notice the stain on the wall. And then eventually you start to notice that there's a little bit of water creeping out from underneath your baseboards. And sin is the same thing. We might be able to keep it hidden for a while, but eventually that sin bubbles up to the surface and it gets exposed. And that happened in the Galatian church. I'm sure that's happened in this church. I'm sure that's happened in another church that you have been a part of. And if that has not happened, it will happen because we all deal with sin. Sin always has a way of surfacing. And so those who are, who are caught in sin, it could mean that it is sin that was once hidden that is now being manifested, but it could mean another thing. It could also refer to those who have been overtaken by a particular sin. This indicates, as one commentator says, that the sinful behavior is a a pattern, a, a particular sin has, in a sense, gotten the upper hand on this person, and without the help of another person, that person is not going to be able to deal with that sin. They're not going to be able to get the upper hand on that sin themselves. And so they need somebody else to come alongside of them, an accountability partner who can help them work through that particular sin that they are struggling with, that they are dealing with. They're not trying to hide it, right? It's not something that's hidden, but it's something that's got the upper hand on them that they are trying to deal with, and they can't do it on their own. They need somebody else to help them. And so being caught in sin could refer to one of two things, hidden sin, recently been exposed, a particular sin that's gotten the upper hand on another brother and sister in Christ, and they need you to help them work through and to fight that sin. And in case you're wondering, the sins someone could be caught in are, are numerous, right? If you look back at Galatians chapter 5, just, just maybe a little bit up the page like in my Bible, or maybe you just turn the page, you know, one page back, you, you see there's a list there of the works of the flesh. And he says in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I mean, these kind of run the gamut of particular sins that we can be affected by, that we can be caught in. There are other sins, of course, this isn't an a end-all, be-all list of, of the sins that somebody could get, get caught in. But these are the sins, these are sins that represent the works of the flesh. And if anyone is caught in these sins or any other sin, we're, we're, not to, we're not to just write this person off. We're not to abandon them. We're not to sweep their sin underneath the rug and just ignore it and hope that, hope that it goes away. Instead, what does Paul tell us to do? What does God's Word tell us to do? It says we are to seek to restore them. We are to address their sin as a physician. You know, when I was a kid, I was playing football in my front yard, uh, just as I would do all of the time with my friends in the neighborhood. And uh, on this one particular day, I was, I was running for a touchdown, and uh, one of my friends came, and, and he caught me right before I got the touchdown, and he tackled me. And when he did, I landed on my shoulder, and I broke my collarbone. Now, when, when that happened, uh, you know, I didn't get up and shake it off and, and continue playing. You know, I went inside and I was in, in pretty good pain. I uh, told my parents and, and they didn't say, well, it's okay. Uh, just, you know, maybe give you some Tylenol and, and get on with your, with your business. No, no, they were concerned. They took me to the doctor. And when I got to the doctor, we told, them what, we told the doctor what had happened, and he said, okay, let's check it out. He did an x-ray, and then after he did an x-ray, he determined and confirmed that, yes, my collarbone was indeed broken. Now, once he discovered that, he didn't say, okay, great, we've diagnosed the situation. Uh, we know what has happened. Now, you can, you can go on home. No. He gave me, he said it, and gave me a sling, gave me this brace that I had to wear, because you can't really cast up your, your collarbone. And uh, he sent me home so that I might heal. And that's exactly what we're to do when we discover that someone is caught in sin, right? We are to walk alongside of them like a physician. We are to help bring about healing and, and restoration in their life. Now the plans and the way in which we, we, we walk with each individual is going to be different because everyone is caught in a different type of sin and maybe that sin manifests itself in, in different ways, more extreme ways. But while, while the plan looks different in how we're going to help restore someone, that the plan always has the same ending in its restoration. That's the goal. That's what, that's what we want. We want, through the grace of God, to help this person get back to a place where they're functioning rightly. And that's going to take... Some time, that's going to take some effort, just like it took some time and effort for my collarbone to heal. And if you've ever broken a bone, it took time for, for that to heal as well. And maybe there was some physical therapy that you had to do afterwards. But as Christians, we are, we are called to invest the time, we are called to invest the energy in getting this person there. And that tells us then that, that we aren't to ignore someone's sin. We're not to refuse to deal with it. Instead, we are to walk with them through it. No, that's not to say that it's not going to be easy or painless again. It, it's going to be. And along with helping another person caught in sin, we also learn that the goal of dealing with another sin, this, the goal is not punitive, but the goal is restorative. And I think it's a, it's a common misconception that we hear, well, we need to deal with somebody's sin. We need to help, help someone who is, who is caught in sin. Uh, we need to exercise church discipline right this is where this this word comes about and people feel like man this is very very punitive this is this is not this is not a positive thing but that's not the case that the goal of church discipline the goal of helping another person who is caught in sin is always to be restorative and because that is the case we're not to to sweep another person's sin under the rug, ignoring it in hopes that it's going to magically disappear. Instead, what we do is we, we press into it. We, we help to bring about healing and, and restoration with that person. And if we don't, then, then the body of Christ, the, the local church that we are a part of, the local church that we are members of, is, is not going to be whole. Instead, it's going to remain, it's going to remain broken. And just as a broken body doesn't function properly, the body of Christ, when it when it when its members are not functioning properly, is not going to function properly as a whole. You see, I believe that that the local church, you know, the expression of the universal church, the local church in Eastridge Baptist Church is a local church. Every person who is a member of this church has been given a particular gift by the Lord, and he's been called and you have been called into this fellowship. At this particular time, because you have those particular gifts. And then you utilize those gifts as a means to build up the body of Christ. And so, if we're not able to build up the body of Christ, if we are not able to, if we're not utilizing those gifts in that way, then we are not building up the body of Christ. We are not helping the body of Christ to function properly. And so this is why it's important that we have people who would would join teams in the church and and volunteer and, and help out, right? Uh, that's, that's another sermon for another day. But this is also why it is important that we we deal with sin in the midst of the church. And so the first thing that we must do in order to help those who are caught in sin is to recognize and accept the fact that all church members all church members, are to help their fellow church members who are caught in sin. We must help restore them so that the church can continue to function properly. But in order to help those caught in sin, we must be in a place where we can help. See, in the second half of verse 1, Paul says this, "...keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted." And the language that that is employed here is is purposeful, and I believe it provides a good picture of what we are to be doing. You see in in biblical times, in in Paul's day, that there were cities, right? And all these cities had had walls. Uh, They had walls so that these would-be attackers could not just readily come into Into the city and what they would do is they would place people on top of the walls who were the watchmen and they would watch for those people who were coming, those people who were seeking to attack the city so that they might then be able to alert those in the city uh, to get ready to defend itself. And these watchmen, they they would work in shifts, uh, but they would work around the clock, which means that there was never a time that there wasn't a watchman on the wall watching for an attack that could take place. And we are we're to do the same. We are to continually watch for the enemy's attack like a watchman that has been placed on the wall. That means that that we are to always be on watch for that. There's There's not a time where we should be comfortable, right? We should always realize that there can be an attack that is launched against us at any point. And that attack could be, you know, from the, the outside or that attack could be from the inside. And so let's, let's, let's think about those one at a time. You know, we, have, we may have someone or something that comes to us and it, and it tempts us to sin. And That would be an external temptation. And I think that's what, that's what most of us assume when we assume that, that there's going to be some sort of temptation to sin, that, that it is always external. There's something or someone who is coming and, and they're tempting us to sin. But that's not always the case. You know, there, there are instances of internal sin, right, or internal temptation, excuse me, when our own sinful desires take over. So consider what, what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so there is an internal temptation that can take place as well as our own sinful desires. Desire, sin. Right? We, we, we have this war that is going on within our body. Yes, we have been saved by Christ. We have been justified. We, we have been transformed. Our heart has been changed. But, but we still have this process of sanctification that has to take place until the Lord returns or until we go home to glory. One, one or the other has to happen. And so we fight the effects of Sin each and every single day. Our sinful desires lure and they entice us towards sin. Now, as Christians, we have the power to fight against that sin, but we still have those desires that are luring and and enticing us. And so we've got to be aware that it's not just external temptation that is going on, but it's also internal temptation. This is why oftentimes, you know, when when someone says maybe, maybe caught... Uh, you know, looking at pornography or something like that, right? And people would say, well, we just, just got to get covenant eyes. Um, I just got to get rid of the computer. I got to put it out in, in this, you know, spot in the house. And yes, you should do all of those things, right? You, you want to knock down the temptation from an external sense, but, but you've also got to deal with your heart as well. there's something inside of you that is desiring those things, that is luring and enticing you away towards that. And so we have to deal with both external and internal temptation. And we have to be aware that they are there, and we have to be watching for those things all of the time. And if we're watching, then we will be in a place where we can help another when they fall into sin. You see, if we're caught in sin ourselves, then then we can't help another person who is caught in sin because we have our own sin that we have to get untangled from. And so we need to continually keep watch over ourselves so that we can help restore another person who is caught in sin. And the idea uh, that, that, that we're looking at here does coincide with Jesus' idea that we read about in... The Gospel of Matthew. I know many people use, well, we shouldn't judge another person. You know, you shouldn't judge another person. Um, you know, we, you've got this log in your eye and you shouldn't look to get the speck out of the other person's eye. But, but Jesus there is not saying that we should never judge another person. Jesus is not saying there that we should never seek to get the speck out of another person's eye. Instead, Jesus is saying you must first seek to remove the log, this massive, huge log that is in your eye, before you go to seek to remove the speck out of another person's eye. And if you are all about removing the log that is in your eye, and you are working towards that, and you humbly admit that you are a sinner, you see, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees who think they have no sin. But if you're willing to admit that you're not like the Pharisees, that that you are a sinner... That, that you have sin yourself, that you need accountability, that you need help, that you need other people to walk alongside of you, then you're dealing with the log that's in your eye. And you are able then to go and deal with the speck that is in another person's eye. That coincides with what, what we see here. We're to keep watch over ourselves. We are to make sure that we're not caught in sin. We are to deal with the sin that is taking place in our lives so that we can then be in a place where we can help another person who is caught in sin. Next, in order to help those who are caught in sin, we must bear their burden. And that's exactly what we're told to do in verse 2, along with another reason why we should help those caught in sin. There he says, bear one another's burden, and then so fulfill the law of Christ. bearing another's burden means that we are to take on some of the weight that that person is bearing. Now, I know that you all have helped another person move before. And... You know, you kind of you dread that phone call, right? Like, you know one of your, one of your friends or you know another family, um, especially like when you're in college, right, and your friends are just moving all the time or, or, or you just got out of high school and you got your first place and, and a lot of people are jumping around a lot before they, they finally buy a house maybe and settle in. And, and you kind of you dread you know, when your friend calls, because you know they're going to call, because you know it's that time of year again where all the leases are coming up, and your friend has already been talking about, like, man, I've got this amazing apartment across town. It's, like, on the fifth floor, um, and, man, I would really love it. I would really love it if you come and help me move. We all dread, we dread that, right? Because it's, moving's hard work. We're literally bearing the burdens of another person. We're bearing up their furniture five flights of stairs. And we're thinking, why did you ever move here? Like, And if you do it again, please get a moving company next time. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do with those who are caught in sin. It's a burden this person has. We're to come alongside of that person and we are to help bear their burden. We don't just say, man, I'm I'm sorry you're caught in that. I'll be praying for you. That that is one way we can bear their burden. We should certainly do that. But we, we come alongside. How can we help? How can we encourage you? How can we help you walk through this season of life? How can we help to restore you? Again, the plan's Are going to look different with everyone, but we are called to come and bear the other person's burden so that they might be restored to fellowship with Christ. So that they might be restored to the fellowship of the church. So that they might be restored so that they can be useful within the church again. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help bear another's burden who's caught in sin. And when we do that, when we bear the burden of another, we fulfill the law of christ and the law of christ can be summed up into a single command love your neighbor as yourself and it's called the law of christ because christ is the ultimate and unsurpassable example and expression of this type of love right jesus went to the cross and he died for us jesus shed his blood for us Jesus took the very wrath of God that we deserve and He took that wrath on Himself so that we might be able to be restored to the Father. So that our relationship might be made whole with the Father. And we can experience life as God has designed for us to experience as His adopted children, as those who are part of His kingdom, who are living out their purpose in life, the purpose that God has given us. We can't do that on our own. There's no amount of works. There's no amount of pleading. There's no amount of money that we could pay to the Lord in order to make that happen. No, it is through the sacrificial death of Jesus that that occurs. And our belief that it is Jesus who indeed paid the price for our sins, who indeed repairs our relationship with the Father. It's not us, but it's Him. It's His sacrifice on a cross some 2,000 years ago where the Lord's wrath was poured out on Him that makes it possible for us to be restored. You see, Jesus bore our burden. Jesus bore our sins. Jesus fulfills the law of Christ, and so we are to fulfill that law as well. And we do that when we love another person enough that we would come alongside of them and we would bear their burdens Lastly, in order to help those caught in sin, we must humble ourselves. We must be humble. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. To help another, we must humble ourselves. If you believe that you're somebody, if you believe that you are not susceptible to sin, that you would never fall, that you would never do the things that that person that is caught in sin is doing, you are deceiving yourself. The only reason that you are not caught in that sin is because of the grace of God. It's not your strength. It's not your ability. It's not your holier than thouness. right? It is because of God's grace. He is poured out in your life. And if you don't humble yourself, you will not walk alongside another person. You will not seek to correct that person in a spirit of gentleness. Instead, you will be unconcerned, you will be harsh, and you will be critical with that person instead of loving, caring, and compassionate. Pride not only sets us up for a huge fall, but it kills community, especially biblical community, and especially when it comes to us dealing with the sin of another person when we seek to restore them. Which means that we must kill pride. And we can kill pride in a number of ways. We must recognize that we could easily be in the same boat. That's the first way. We've got to recognize that that could easily be us. As well as we kill pride by testing our own work. And I want to talk about this one for a minute because I think we have a tendency to compare ourselves with another person, right? But, but we shouldn't allow another person's uh, activity to determine how we are doing spiritually. Instead, we've got to look at our own activity. We have to look at our own lives and compare what we're doing to the Word of God and what it calls us to do. And so doing so then should, should humble us. It should cause us to see that, that we are not as great as we, as we think that we are. We can always find somebody. You can always find somebody who is doing worse than you. I don't care if you're homeless, strung out on drugs, on, on living on the street to mean robbing people left and right to pay for your drug addiction. You can always find somebody that you can look to and you can say, well, I'm better than that guy over there. We can always do that. And when it comes to being spiritual, when it comes to you know, us and our relationship with the Lord, we can always find another Christian, another person, even in the fellowship of our own church, and we can look to them and say, well, at least I'm not dealing with that. Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing well. No, we don't do that. We look to God's Word and we say, how is my life matching up to God's Word? How am I doing with keeping God's commands? How am I doing? Not how is this person doing in relation to me. How am I doing in relation to God's Word? And we look there and we will see that that we are dealing with things as well. And so we must humble ourselves. We 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 must examine ourselves in such a way that We will not be holier than thou. And and, you know, sometimes this happens, this happens in the church, right? You get these pastors, and they're high-profile pastors, and there's just it just seems like always, you know, there's there's some high-profile pastor that has fallen into one sin or another who's disqualified themselves from ministry. And oftentimes we may be somebody that, that we follow. And we think, man, how could that person do that? How could that person be caught in that sin? I thought they were so much more spiritual than that. And one, that's the problem, right? Sometimes church members elevate pastors to this level of spirituality where they're not dealing with any sin at all, and that is absolutely untrue. I deal with sin just like you deal with sin. Other pastors deal with sin just like you deal with sin. And and if you're not willing to admit that as a pastor or a leader, well, you are not keeping watch over yourself. You are thinking that you are better than somebody else. But that's not the case. But oftentimes we think, well, how could they do that? And it's because they got wrapped up into that lie. They got wrapped up into this lie of Satan that... Oh, man, you're, you're, you're this high-profile pastor. you got all these followers and TV shows. And look at all the people following you on Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff. Man, you would never fall into any sin. And so then they start to slip. They, they, they quit watching over their life. They quit watching themselves both externally and internally. They think that they can get in situations where they can handle it because they're so much more spiritual than somebody else. And the next thing they know, they're in the same sin as others have been in as well. You see, we can never think that we have reached some sort of pinnacle, that we've we've reached some sort of level of maturity where we don't have to watch ourselves. We must humble ourselves. And we must realize that we will never be there. But by the grace of God, by the work of the Spirit in our lives, by the work of other brothers and sisters in the church, holding us accountable, encouraging us, walking alongside of us, we can avoid these sins. And we can continue to be on mission for Christ. We can continue to be useful for Him. We can continue to be... So we can't take our guard down. We can't quit examining ourselves. We can't believe that we're above certain sins. All that is is pride talking. And so these are the things that we must do in order to help another who is caught in sin. We must help them. Right? As we, we've seen, hopefully you've seen today, God commands it. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual shouldn't think about restoring them, shouldn't consider it. No, you should restore him it's a command it's an imperative that god has given each and every single one of us and we can help another who is caught in sin by being in a place where we can help by bearing their burdens and by humbling ourselves And when we help another, we fulfill the law of Christ. We keep the church strong and we keep watch over ourselves and keep watch over another. We end up being a light to the community in which we are in. We end up being on mission for Jesus. We end up making more disciple-making disciples than we would have otherwise. And that's what the church is all about. It is about helping one another live like Christ. It is about helping one another cross the finish line of the Christian life. That's why there are no lone ranger Christians in Christianity. We need one another. Especially when we find ourselves caught in sin. And so, when when that happens, when you find another brother or sister that is caught in sin, what are you going to do? Are you going to wait for somebody else to come along and and help them out? Or are you going to push it underneath the rug? Are you going to forget about it? Are you going to sit comfortably in your home, in your Sunday school class, your small group? Or are you going to press into it? Are you going to walk alongside of them? Are you going to bear the difficult burden of their sin with them and help restore them to Christ? How are you going to respond when you come across another brother and sister who's caught in sin? Well, hopefully we're going to respond in the way that God's Word calls us to respond. And today is an opportunity for us to respond in that way, to respond by praying during our time of response here in just a moment. Responding by praying and asking, Lord, Do I have any sin in my life that I need to be aware of? By asking and saying, Lord, is there somebody that I can come alongside of that I've been avoiding, that I can walk alongside of and help them to be restored themselves? To ask Lord to give you strength to do that, to to give you wisdom to do that. And today also, if, if you're not a believer in Christ, You've heard the gospel that Jesus is the one who has come and He has bore our burdens for us. That He has sacrificed Himself so that we might be able to have a restored relationship with the Father. And now is an opportunity for you to respond. For you to respond publicly by professing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and allowing Him to bear your burdens. Releasing that burden to Him so that you might have a restored relationship with the Father. You might experience eternal life. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of response as Nathan leads us in worship. Let me encourage you to pray, to think, and to ask the Lord to work in your life and the life of those around you during this time. God, we come to you today. We come to you humbled knowing that if it wasn't for Your grace, that we too would be caught in sin. God, we thank You. We thank You for Jesus, for His sacrifice on the cross for us. We thank You, Lord, that He releases us from the the power of sin, that we no longer have to be in bondage to sin. We can be freed from that. And so, God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know You, someone who's watching online, who doesn't know you. May, you, may you work in their life, call them to yourself so that they might publicly profess you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, may you strengthen us as the church so that we might help others who might be caught in sin, so that we might help to restore another brother or sister. Give us the strength. and Give us the willpower. Give us the humility that we need. In order to do that, Lord. In all this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.